With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 379 of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I have with me Steve Durham. Steve is a partner at Labatone Sushiro, and we talk about the recent $83 million whistleblower award by the SEC to three individuals represented by his law firm uh, in connection with enforcement actions at Merrill Lynch. First, a word from our sponsor. Today, this episode is sponsored by my new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook, which will be published by Compliance Week. Today, I wanted to share with you some of the things other people are saying about this new book. James Kukios, former Senior Deputy Chief Fraud Section of the Criminal Division of the Department of Justice, has said, with his deep experience, keen insights, and common sense approach and plain language, Tom is an invaluable resource for compliance professionals and even enforcement authorities seeking a better understanding of compliance trends. Christy Grant Hart, CEO of Spark Consulting and author of How to Be a Wildly Effective Compliance Officer, has said, Tom Fox does it again. The Compliance Evangelist gives relevant, clear guidance on how to improve your compliance program one day at a time. I know you will find this book incredibly useful, and I hope you will check it out. It's available for pre-sale on my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com. The $83 million whistleblower award to three recipients from Merrill Lynch set the record for the highest amount of award to any group or individuals. Steve Durham talks about several significant aspects of this case and considers whether or not the SEC whistleblower program has been a success from the SEC's eyes and obviously the whistleblower's eyes. It's a fascinating exploration. The case has many important points for both whistleblowers and compliance practitioners. I know you will enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again, the Compliance Evangelist, back for another episode. And I'm extraordinarily pleased to have Steve Durham from Labaton Sushiro uh, back with us to talk about the Merrill Lynch Enforcement Action and Whistleblower Award that his firm was involved with. I think it's um, probably incredibly propitious, Steve, that this came out so shortly uh, after the digital realty case and the uh, commentary that you and I and uh, others have engaged on in that case. And this case really, I think, um, crystallized uh, several of the issues that we had talked about. And it's, it's uh, frankly stunning for several other reasons that uh, led to uh, us getting together for this podcast. So with that somewhat long-winded introduction, uh, welcome back. Thank you. And uh, why don't we just jump into it and you can give us the background facts. You bet. You bet. So uh, I'll share with you what I can. And I preface my remarks by saying that in our practice, we represent uh, our practice is exclusively focused on representing uh, SEC whistleblowers. So in our practice, um, we are extraordinarily discreet and uh, we represent many clients on an anonymous basis, uh, as we did here, uh, as my partner Jordan Thomas did here. 
And so there's a lot of facts that <clears throat> we'd like to discuss uh, and like to talk about and like for the public to know about, uh, but we can't. Uh, and the reason we can't is because uh, we go to great lengths, as does the SEC, uh, to protect the identity of people who have the courage to come forward and share important information uh, that leads to an enforcement action. But that being said, there are some uh, facts that we can share and some that I think are important. So this uh, <clears throat> matter, uh, we re represented the firm and Jordan represented uh, three separate uh, individuals. Uh, all three of which uh, satisfy the requirements of the whistleblower program in that they had original independent information uh, that was significant. And all three of those individuals uh, shared that information with the SEC uh, on an anonymous basis. That SEC, that led uh, to the SEC opening uh, an investigation uh, a number of years ago, and as we've discussed before, Tom, these cases take between three and five years to get through the system. So this has been a long time in the making, uh, but that the SEC opened uh, its investigation a number of years ago, uh, conducted a very thorough and comprehensive investigation. And in June of 2016, announced uh, an enforcement action against Merrill Lynch in the amount of $415 million, which is very significant. And it's significant because it reflects the level of misconduct that the SEC alleged and then proved. And so in a nutshell, what it is, and this is very complicated, as many of our matters are, they involve very complicated accounting uh, fraud issues. Uh, this uh, $415 million enforcement action uh, was to settle charges that Merrill Lynch misused customer cash to generate profits for the firm and failed to safeguard customer assets, and for years executed complex options trades that lacked economic substance and that artificially reduced the required deposit of customer cash in the reserve account. So the SEC was very meticulous in its work, uh, as you would expect, very responsible. And in June of 2016, as I mentioned, uh, there was a $415 million enforcement action. That did not end the process for uh, our clients uh, because at the end of the process of the enforcement action, when the enforcement action is announced, there moves uh, a different phase and the, the SEC posts what they refer to as a notice of covered action. And what that says to the world is if you believe that you are an eligible whistleblower, now is your time. Uh, to file a WBAPP form, which is a whistleblower award for uh, application for award. And you have a certain period of time to do that. Uh, and we, what we put in that is, is we put the justification as to why our clients are eligible. Uh, but not only that, and equally important, why our clients are eligible for 30% of the total enforcement action. So as you know, and as we've discussed before, Tom, there uh, is discretion, a vast amount of discretion. Uh, the SEC can award as little as 10%, can award less than that if the whistleblower is eligible, uh, but can award as much as 30% of the total enforcement action. When you're talking about an enforcement action of $415 million, uh, that range uh, uh, you know, lies in the millions. So uh, that process started in June 2016 after the notice of covered action was uh, was announced by the SEC and it continued. <clears throat> so Jordan filed 
on behalf of our three clients, uh, very uh, extensive uh, and detailed uh, whistleblower uh, application for award. And uh, it took time for that to wend its way through the process. And part of the time is that because of the nature of the award, the amount of it, uh, and even if it's not a, a large award, uh, anybody can claim to be a whistleblower, uh, an, uh, an actual a person who's entitled to uh, uh, the award or, or part of the award. Uh, and the SEC Office of the Whistleblower uh, has to go through each of these applications, which they do, and they take it very seriously because there's a lot at stake. And then they make decisions. But those initial decisions uh, can be appealed uh, by people who uh, either don't get any award or don't get the award they feel that uh, they're entitled to. And this is what happened uh, here. The, uh, there were a number of uh, applicants uh, in addition to our three clients and uh, that process, the appeals process, took some time. So that's why uh, the uh, actual award was uh, only announced uh, just last month. So the way it breaks down is we uh, represented three clients, all with uh, significant information, all who remain anonymous. And these clients, one client was awarded uh, $33 million. Uh, and then two clients split uh, $50 million. Uh, making a total of $83 million payout uh, from the whistleblower fund, which is uh, exceeds all records uh, by a vast amount. But let me just add one, one other point, and I think this is an important one, is that the $83 million award uh, is historic. But from our perspective and from what we see and from our representation and our activity, as I said, these cases take years to get through the system, and we can accurately, I believe, predict, we don't have a crystal ball, so there's no absolute certainty, uh, but I think we can accurately predict that the best days are still to come. People look at an $83 million award and they say, well, geez, that has to be the top of the mountain. Uh, we believe that it is not. Uh, we believe that uh, there will be additional enforcement actions, additional awards, uh, and we believe that the best days of the program, Tom, uh, are still uh, uh, in in the uh, uh, before us. So there was some language in the uh, the award that I wanted to uh, see if I could get some some really some further definitions from you. Uh, first, with the two whistleblowers who shared the fifty million dollar award, uh, it was said they provided original information, which led to a successful enforcement. And I guess. Um, I wondered, uh, Steve, if you might be able to shed some light on what is original information, at least in the eyes of the commission, and then uh, really restate what is an, a successful enforcement? Well, let me re reference this generally, because this is a very important point, and I won't reference specifics with respect to our clients in Merrill, but but your question is is an excellent question, because many times this is misconstrued, and the way the rules are written my, you know, my, my partner, Jordan Thomas, wrote the rules when he was at the SEC. Uh, the commission was very careful to define what original and independent information is. And the goal, the overarching objective is the commission, the regulators want to um, they, they want to draw out information that has true value. So. You know, if you open up the Internet pages or look at, uh, you know, if you're an old fashioned person, in some ways you look at the newspaper one day and you see an article 
and you see uh, allegations of misconduct at uh, a large publicly traded company. And, you know, we get calls like this on a regular basis in our intake. Uh, so, you know, where does this information come from? It, you know, it comes from uh, second or third hand sources. It comes from hearsay. Well, of course, that's not going to be valuable to the SEC. Not that it would be completely worthless, because as an investigator, when I was chief of the fraud and public corruption section at the U.S. Attorney's Office, we used to get all kinds of information. And I would never entirely discount information. But the best information that we would get uh, as uh, prosecutors and as regulators would come from people in the know. And a lot of those people, it's not accidental. They're insiders. They work for the company. Uh, they're in higher level management positions, they're executives. So they have access to information that very other few people uh, that, they, that they don't have. And, and they have the courage to, well, first of all, they identify something that's wrong. And then they have the courage to say something about it. And most often they say something internally. Uh, they report it to their boss, maybe the CEO, or they report it, uh, you know, the job I used to have when I was uh, in-house as a compliance officer, they reported to in-house compliance officials. And a lot of times those operations work, those apparatus work. Sometimes they don't. And that's a lot of times when people come to us. So independent information is something that you know on your own. You haven't read it. No one's told you about it. Uh, you, you know, you haven't got it third hand. Uh, you know, you haven't, uh, you've seen it, you've been there, uh, and it's independent. No one has forced you or you're not obligated. And we can have a separate discussion about what that means. You're not. So if you're, uh, you know, a, a lawyer in house or you're a compliance official, the job I used to have, or you're an auditor, uh, you have certain obligations to report that uh, don't make you ineligible as a whistleblower, uh, but put a uh, different set of rules on you. So the independence and the original in information is very critical because, and why? What, what, does it go, what does it boil down to, Tom? It boils down to uh, what is the value of the information? Because at the end of the process, the SEC, in order for a whistleblower to be eligible, has to institute an enforcement action and the way the Institute Enforcement Action is, they don't just, uh, you know, when I was a prosecutor, I just don't, it's not, it's not that way because I say it's that way. It's that way because I can prove it. And I have evidence. I have individuals. I have documents. I have emails. I have records. I have admissions. Uh, I may have uh, audio tape. I may have surreptitious tape. Uh, I may have other sources of evidence, but I can prove it. And uh, that's, uh, and that usually leads to resolution and settlement. So, Steve, um, then there was a second award of $33 million, and in the order it stated that the uh, order, uh, excuse me, sec uh, the second whistleblower provided information that was previously unknown to the staff handle handling the initial investigation, and it triggered a second separate investigation and contributed to the commission's successful pursuit of the subsequent entire uh, Merrill Lynch uh, enforcement action. And I guess the, the part that really intrigued me there was that there was a, a, a second whistleblower who had really uh, such significant other information that it, um, as the SEC noted, uh, was previously unknown to the staff. And um, 
just the dynamics of that seemed a little bit unusual. Would would you think that 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 is unusual, or that this is not uh, uh, could be a fairly typical situation? Uh, I I think that it's not unusual. Uh, it's not common. It's not every case. But but let me just give you a little bit of background uh, on on how this could come about. And again, I'm not going to speak specifically about Merrill, but I want to speak generally as the rules apply. So say you have, uh, and this is why multiple whistleblowers can receive awards. It's not just one. Timing is critical. So if you represent client A and you bring in information to the commission on Monday, and I represent client B, Tom, and I bring in the identical information on Tuesday, at the end of the process, uh, your client would get 100% of whatever award there is, and my client would get zero. That's exactly right. Zero. Why? Because it's identical information. But so, so there's a premium placed on we need to get clients' information to the commission as quickly as possible, but also meeting our own standards. Because if all you do is, you know, as we've said in the past, deliver uh, a bunch of cake ingredients that aren't baked, well, that's many times not very helpful to the commission. So, but, but this is really an important part of it. And your question touches on this. So say you represent client A and you bring client A in on a Monday and client A has exceptionally important information, but I represent client B and client B has important information, but client B's information, Tom, is different than client A's. It's client B worked in a different department. Client B dealt with different people. Client B saw different records and documents. So, but client B's information is a critical part of the understanding and the proof that the commission needs in order to do complete justice to then enforcement action. I mean, complete justice, not just, well, you know, we saw a little piece of it and we got some mm -hmm. accountability. So in that situation, your client uh, gets uh, a piece of the award because they brought in important critical information on Monday. But my client who on Tuesday, albeit a day after your client, but my client brought in different information, a different perspective, but it was extremely helpful because it's a perspective that client A did not have. And that's exactly how. Uh, you can have multiple whistleblowers represented by either the same or different lawyers or not represented at all because there's no requirement that people be represented. It's a good idea for many, many reasons. But you can have multiple whistleblowers collect on the same uh, enforcement action. And that's exactly what happened here in Maryland. Uh, the other thing that really jumped out at me from the uh, whistleblower award uh, released by the SEC was the premium on timing in terms of getting information to the commission. And we had um, uh, looked like a whistleblower award that was at an amount which was below the what was available under the 30 percent. And so I wondered, Steve, from your perspective, does this really put a greater premium on uh, timing, not just uh, if there are multiple whistleblowers, but actually to affect the quantum of the potential award? No question. And, and so uh, the SEC will look very carefully when you're applying for the award. The SEC will look very carefully 
how quickly did you come in? Did you have this information and then sit on it for a year? Or they also look, and this is a related issue, you know, what did you do with the information? Did you report it internally? Uh, and if you didn't, why didn't you? You know, why did you come directly to the SEC? Now, we've talked a little bit about the impact of digital realty and you know, the impact that that may have. But these are all critical questions for the commission because time's money. And, uh, you know, as a prosecutor, uh, if I, of course, there's a statute of limitations issue with it that runs, you know, typically it's five years. There's some exceptions and uh, loopholes. And there is occasionally waiver uh, of, of the uh, of the limitation. But but it's five years. And but not only that, it's not just I mean, even if it were 20 years, these cases do not get better with time. I used to tell people that I supervised in the section, you know, it's not like a great wine. It doesn't get better with time. <laughs> now, you, you know, you have to That's balance great. that. That's okay. great. I have to use that. <laughs> you have to balance it, though, because, you know, you also can't uh, engage in a rush to judgment. But the longer that you withhold information from the SEC when they say, well, you could have reported this six months ago. Why didn't you? Uh, they'll look carefully at that. And so we always are encouraging clients. Uh, look, if you have information and that's why we, uh, you know, as as uh, a coach, uh, you know, I'm an aficionado of uh, the, the great uh, John Wooden. And he was fond of saying, um, you know, um, uh, uh, move quickly, uh, but don't rush, uh, you know, move quickly, move purposefully, purposefully, but but don't rush. So, you know, that's what we do. We move quickly to make sure that uh, we're doing things and encouraging our clients to to do the same. Uh, but we don't rush because, you know, this is serious business and you've got to put together something uh, that's very, very well done. As we've spoken before, uh, we've got to bake the cake uh, absolutely as much as we can. And that, I think, is uh, a big part of our value added as a practice. Well, and that really leads me to the third point that I wanted, uh, or at least the next point I wanted to raise with you, Steve. Uh, the uh, As we talked about, there were other whistleblowers, uh, other whistleblowers who made claims on the award. Um, in the uh, SEC award, uh, some of the information was described as general and vague in terms of the problems at the company, some of the information was duplicative of uh, previous information that had uh, been received. And that really led me to, to, to ask about the importance of packaging the information for the commission, because it seems like the commission also puts a very high premium of the quality of the information presented to it, not just the nearness of the whistleblower to the actual nefarious actions. Uh, no question. And part of that is the SEC is is a large organization and a lot of extremely talented professionals work for the SEC, including my three partners in the practice. Um, but look, you know, when I was with the government, uh, the United States Attorney's Office, we had limited resources. So, you know, it's not like well, let's spend six months trying to determine whether there's a case there. Occasionally you'd have to do that. For the most part, we never had that luxury. Uh, so the best cases were cases that 
Look, this is a cake. We've got a lot of facts. Uh, you know, it's up to us to kind of put it together. But the SEC has got to make decisions about how it allocates and uses resources. And one of the great things about this whistleblower program is it is it in some ways deputizes experienced lawyers, a lot of whom are former SEC officials themselves, like my partners, and some of whom aren't, who are very talented lawyers, but it deputizes outside lawyers, private lawyers, to be able to identify serious securities issues, identify evidence, work with witnesses, marshal the evidence, put it together, identify applicable law, which is critical because you have to have a legal theory, identify an enforcement and a penalty scheme which is critical because the amount of the enforcement uh, is you, you want to make sure that you have identified all of the uh, violations and that they're all accounted for. And also it's important because the amount of the enforcement action drives the amount, ultimate amount of the whistleblower award. So if Merrill Lynch, for instance, instead of being a $415 million action was only a uh, hundred million dollar action, I say only that's still significant. But you can see that the amount of, of the payout uh, for the whistleblower for our clients uh, would be uh, would be would be a fraction uh, of what it ended up being. So uh, all of these things are very important considerations. The SEC has limited resources. Uh, so what we try to do and our value added part of it, at least, is, you know, we think like regulators. We, we're going to put a securities case together. It's going to be very complex. We have forensic accountants. We have former uh, FBI agents who specialized in fraud. Uh, and that's what we do. Uh, we put it together. Uh, we bake the cake. And, uh, and then we continue to work uh, very closely uh, with the commission and the other regulators to make sure that uh, justice is done. So with the um, just the confluence of events, or rather perhaps even timing of the release of this award after Digital Realty, uh, it seems to me the message that we are receiving from the Supreme Court and now from the SEC is that timing is critical and immediately means simply that, immediately, and that um, a whistleblower uh, both for uh, uh, the anti-retaliatory protections and for the quantum of their potential award, need to um, get their information to the SEC in as expeditious a manner as possible. Would that be a, a fair reading of these two confluence of events from your perspective, Steve? Uh, that is an extremely fair read, Tom. And, uh, you know, that's why we encourage people. We consult informally with prospective clients, but also other lawyers and other law firms, especially people who specialize in plaintiff's employment uh, representation. Somebody who comes in, they're an executive, uh, they're suddenly fired uh, after a sterling career. And the first thing they think of is, you know, I need, uh, I need employment representation. Well, they may have a very valuable employment case, but what may be even more valuable or much more valuable, they may be uh, eligible for an SEC whistleblower award so we encourage people, uh, you know, we have informal consultations all the time, uh, very low key. Uh, look, what do you think of this? Uh, what, what do, you, do you think there's anything here? Do you think it's worth taking a run at? And, uh, you know, from time to time, we'll partner with other law firms and lawyers and uh, on behalf of uh, client interests. You know, that last point, I think, is extraordinarily important, Steve, because uh, many 
Uh, I used to pr practice in the employment space. Uh, I would say always on the defense side, representing corporations. But many uh, plaintiffs' lawyers in the employment space do not have the uh, securities law experience that someone like yourself and, and your partners have. And that, I find, is an incredibly important part of your whistleblower practice is not understanding the securities law, but in, being able to marshal the facts which would demonstrate to a securities regulator there had been a potential violation. Yeah, you know, it's a specialty practice. And, and more and more, as uh, there's more uh, uh, trend toward the globalization of an economy, um, you know, I saw this when I was was in house, you know, I travel all over the world and, you know, there's more and more trend towards specialization. We're not going backwards. So people have not only narrow specialties, but they have micro specialties. And those specialties are critical because that's that's going to be a key driver. and It's going to continue to be a key driver in the economy. So our specialty, it's like my partner, Jordan Thomas jokes, you know, we're a big fish in a puddle. Um, but but it's an important it's an important space to be in because one false step or one misstep here and there are a lot of rules and a lot of complexities and a lot of things. One false step can be the difference literally between somebody walking out with eighty three million dollars and that same person getting nothing. And, and we've seen it uh, and it's unfortunate. So but, what, you know, our goal is and you know we talk about our practice and. You know, Jordan's had a lot of success, Tom, but, you know, it's not really the practice. It's not Labaton Susharo. The focus is, is what? If the focus is on the client, is, is what is a prospective client going to be able to get out of this? What kind of justice is the system going to, are, are those rights that the client has and the reputation, is all that going to be vindicated so it's about the clients and it's about the program itself that the SEC has put a lot of time and effort into. It's about the success of those individuals and those organizations. And when the clients and the programs succeed, we all succeed. I mean, we succeed as a practice, but we succeed in a larger sense. So we want to uh, our website uh, has a tremendous amount of free resources on it about the program, about you know, how to report about, uh, you know, the rules about securities violations and what they are and what what the SEC takes. So all of this is out there and, and we encourage people to, to make use of it, whether whether we get hired or not. Uh, it's critical that the program succeeds. And that's really what I wanted to end on, Steve, which is the program and how the uh, SEC has used the program and will continue to use the program to enforce our nation's security laws and really pick up on a point you started with, which is from your perspective and the firm's perspective, um, the, uh, as large as this award may be or seem to be, there are many in, uh, that could be uh, significantly higher and that the SEC views this as an incredibly valuable resource in its job to protect investors going forward. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's reiterated uh, every time that, you know, the subject is 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 raised by either the chairman or commissioners or the uh, chief of the uh, whistleblower office or or the co uh, head of uh, the co heads of enforcement uh, or, or whoever or the, the the dedicated men and women who are in the enforcement division and uh, the office of market intelligence. Uh, I think that uh, and it cannot possibly be more important than it is today. 
because as the stakes get higher and the money gets higher and uh, there's more uh, investors out there and more people are now in charge of their own retirement. I mean, there, there's, you know, the, the days of the fixed annuity pension are in the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, people rely more than ever uh, on the good work that the SEC and the Department of Justice and, and other regulators do uh, on their behalf. So the, this program, uh, you know, the SEC continues to be extremely enthusiastic about it. Uh, which you would expect because uh, it's the great equalizer. I tell people, Tom, you know, th this program was devised uh, and it is indeed the great equalizer. I mean, think about where you could have one single individual within a large organization that's very powerful and, and, and very well financed, where one individual can level the playing field by bringing forth information that, you know, this is wrong. People are getting hurt. People are losing money. Uh, people are stuffing money in their pockets when they're not supposed to. People are acting dishonestly. Where else? I mean, and, and you know, I beat the drum for, you know, the, this this great country that we live in. Where else can you have one single person, uh, you know, with the help? And this is what we do. We help one single person go out there and take on a Goliath and level a playing field and walk away a winner. Uh, it's a rare, rare thing. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you, we are extremely proud to be a part of it. Well, Steve, I wondered if we might end with uh, you giving the uh, firm website so that if anyone listening wanted to take a look at those resources or find out a way to uh, contact you guys, they could do so. Sure, I'd be happy to, Tom. We have a dedicated website. Uh, I'm a partner at Labaton Susharo in New York and D.C., uh, which is uh, a, a very uh, special uh, practice, uh, plaintiff's class action security and antitrust practice. It's been in business for a, a long time and it does some exceptional work. But our practice group uh, is a practice group within the firm and it has a specialized website. Uh, so the website is www.secwhistlebloweradvocate.com. It's all one word, secwhistlebloweradvocate.com. And as I said, that uh, website has a tremendous amount of uh, free information, uh, not only the program, but on securities, on the SEC generally, uh, on our successes, on our track record, uh, the SEC whistleblowers office uh, report, the numbers, the statistics, uh, and our team. Uh, our team is profiled uh, in depth there as well. So uh, I encourage people to check that out. And uh, as I said, we consult informally with people on a regular basis. So feel free to reach out to any of us. Well, Steve, as always, uh, I learned more than I knew coming in. So I wanted to thank you and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Uh, happy to uh, be with you anytime. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the oldest podcast in the compliance space. Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again next week where we'll take up another topic in the compliance space. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.